Many years ago, I remember a joke that went around my family one Christmas, and, and I'm not convinced that at this point it actually did happen, maybe I just made it up in my head, but I remember one of my uncles promising to buy his brothers around to it for Christmas. Now that may not make sense for a second though, consider your to-do list. Consider all the things in your life that you would like to accomplish if you could only get around to it. Now see, if someone could give you around to it for Christmas, then you could get all those things done. It's kind of a a bad dad joke, actually. Because there is no such thing as around to it, but there are things that we wish we could get around to doing. That we know we should get around to doing, but we keep putting off. Spring has sprung, and there's spring cleaning you want to do in your yard, I suspect. But maybe you're too busy to get around to it. Do you want to tidy up your basement or straighten up your bookshelves? Are there a couple closets you would like to clean out or tidy up? but you haven't gotten around to it yet? Maybe there's that diet you need to get on so you can lose those first 10 pounds or those last 10 pounds, but you never get around to it. It's always going to start tomorrow. Maybe if you think about your to-do list as it comes to your faith, oh, I'll start a quiet time when I get a little extra time. I'll volunteer a little more if my schedule can change. Or I'll start to give more generously financially to the church and other causes that matter greatly to me. But each month goes by and the checks never get written. It's easy to set out ways we want to change and make things happen, to have good intentions, but it's also really easy to never follow through on them. And you see, I I actually believe about all of us that we have good intentions. We want to make changes. We want to bless the world. and, and, And too often, the flow of life just carries us further downstream than we ever realize. And so we ultimately then fail to make the changes we intended to make. But you see, today... We're reminded that at some point, there comes a time when there are no other options left. We have to make the choice, or the time is going to pass us by. We could miss the chance to get in on something great. Our passages of Scripture tell us that this morning. But we can't let the time pass us by. Today, Jesus, who, who, who we know is loving and forgiving and who, who gives us one more year like the Robert reminded us about the fig tree. Jesus also does remind us that the reality is time is finite. There will be a time when time is up. And not just in life, but in all kinds of things. So as we consider how we relate to the Lord in faith, through faith, 
Today it's important for us to ask ourselves, what are we putting off? What needs to happen in our lives now? Because at some point time will be up. Hold that thought in your mind as we turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 13 and read verses 1 through 9. At that very time, there were some present who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He said to them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I come looking for fruit on the fig tree, and I still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, Sir, let alone for one more year, till I dig around it, put some manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every time this passage comes up, I think about the old question, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm reminded of the 1981 best-selling book that Rabbi Kushner wrote, uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It's a question we all face at different times in our life and in our day because it's a question that drives our view of innocence and mercy and, and justice and grace. as an awareness of other religions kind of grows into our collective consciousness, terms like karma from Eastern religions kind of come over and make their way into our cultural language. And and karma, or good things happening to good people and bad things happening to bad people, all of this, we find, makes logical sense. If you are good and you do good, you will experience good. And if you are bad and you do bad and you send bad energy into the world, you will experience negativity. And certainly there are kernels of truth in all of that. But, but the reality is when it comes to bigger questions about things like towers falling or cancer striking or, or difficulties coming upon us, Well, bad things happen to good people. Even when it doesn't quite fit with with what what we've experienced in Scripture. You see, in the Old Testament, there's this theological thread that runs all the way through that's got a big fancy name called Deuteronomic Theology. And it is this theology based in if you are good and you repent, you will experience good things. And if you are bad and you don't repent, you will experience bad things. It's pervasive throughout the Old Testament. 
And it, it, it comes to bore, especially in the prophets, who, when Israel is experiencing troubles, the prophets call the people back to repent. Because Israel, they believe, is experiencing loss and wandering and uncertainty and oppression because someone or, or something around them has sinned. And that's causing them to experience these horrible things. And it's keeping them from experiencing the goodness of God. This belief kind of runs its way all the way through the Old Testament. And it's one that we find a measure of comfort in because we can measure our own goodness alongside others and, and, and feel like we're okay. And it's certainly present in the New Testament. When Jesus is working with his disciples, there's several instances where the disciples rely on this way of looking at the world and looking at God's work in the world. You may think for a second about John chapter 9. No, I don't expect you to remember exactly what's in John chapter 9. But if you've read scripture, you, you remember the story where Jesus' disciples ask him, Hey, who sinned so that this man was born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin so that he was born blind? The disciples are nine chapters into their relationship with Jesus in the gospel. They're halfway through the gospel of John and they're still thinking this way. That someone did something bad, so something bad happened. They're rooted in this Deuteronomic theology way of seeing and experiencing the world. And it makes sense. Because again, it allows us to experience comfort that if we do good, good things will happen. If we do bad and bad things happen, well, of course they did. But then we turn to this little section of chapter 13. A story of these three odd instances kind of being brought together. And, and in a way it provides relief from Deuteronomic theology. In a way it provides an affirmation of Deuteronomic theology. But, but, but really what it does is it calls us to repent. So we don't die like those Gentiles did. Which ultimately isn't about their goodness or their lack of goodness at all. But it's, it's dying with the experience. It's, it, it's experiencing bad things with the knowledge that God is with us, that Jesus is trying to warn us about. There is no doubt in this passage, Jesus is calling his disciples to repentance. I'm pretty good at wanting to find something unique about a passage, reading between the lines and seeing what's there. But it's clear, Jesus is calling all of us, especially those in the story, but all of us, to repentance. It's what's happening. But a simple, plain reading of this gospel story does not necessarily reveal what repentance is about. You see, there's a temptation to think that if we had repented, or if those 18 had repented, they wouldn't have been hit by the Tower of Siloam. There's a temptation to think that the real problem was they weren't good and so Pilate mingled blood. But I'm not so sure that's exactly what Jesus is saying. 
He says, do you think those who were victims were somehow worse offenders? Do you think there's a degree of goodness and badness that may impact you in relation to tragedy? And if we step back, consider, maybe read between the lines. I wonder if it's not so much that those Gentiles sinned so they were allowed to die, if it is that because those Gentiles didn't repent, they died without hope. You see, it would be fantastic if simply by repenting, we could avoid all bad things. But we're here with a room full of people who all of you, all of us, have had difficulties and struggles in one way or another, yet most of us have repented. Repenting didn't keep us from the difficulties. It's not that all the victims became victims because they didn't repent. It's that those who didn't repent all died the same way. Lost. Forgotten without something beyond this life that they could have known. Those who died under the falling tower of Siloam died the same way that that everyone in Jerusalem would eventually die who didn't repent because along the way somehow they had the chance to invite the love of God into them, into their lives. But when they didn't, when there wasn't repentance, what was left was uncertainty. What was left is they didn't know what would happen, whose they were. They died apart from the knowledge of the full experience of God's love. And so you see, to me, as we look at a passage like this, it's not a command to repent in order to avoid tragedy. It's a call to repent so that we can know fully, wholly, and with certainty That in our tragedies, no matter what comes, the Lord is with us. That as we walk through the valleys of the shadows of death, thou art with me. And that through our repentance we have a measure of certainty that even when all is not right on earth as it is right in heaven, we begin to experience glimpses of that love that comes from heaven, even now. The people under the tower of Siloam did not die because they sinned, rather because they had not yet repented. They died subject to fear and uncertainty. But it doesn't have to be that way. Not for you, not for me, not for anyone. Last week we read from Luke 14. Jesus said, on the third day I'll accomplish my work. He was speaking metaphorically, of course, or, or in, in an allegory, an image. And, and in the parable, he does the same thing. Using those threes again. Jesus concludes this little passage about repentance with that parable of the fig tree who for three years had a chance to do something and hadn't. The gardener talks the landowner into one, one more time, give him one more chance to repent. The tree, if you will, has been the recipient of good work, of of great opportunities to do what it's called to do, so to speak. 
But here, as the three days of work are completing, as it's three years of growth and, and time to produce are nearing an end, the passage becomes not about the fig tree, but about us. It's, it's a parable. It's a story about something more than a tree. And in this case, the parable reminds us that if we have not repented, if we're not bearing fruit, there is a time when time will be up. The call is not so we can avoid towers falling or avoid tragedy coming because life is hard. There will be difficulties. But the call to repentance now, while we still have time, is a call for us to align ourselves with the love of God so that when the difficulties of life strike, we have God's love to walk through the difficulties with us. And to that end, the meaning of the parable is, is surely a time will come when we don't have the opportunity to ask for God's love anymore. A time will come when all the good intentions we have, all the things we thought we wanted to accomplish, all of the ways we mean, we mean well within the context of the gospel. Well, the time will come when there is no time. The landowner will give up. And maybe that time is now. Maybe now is the time we need to do something. To make a decision. To respond. And actually start doing those things which we know God has been calling us to do. Maybe now is the time for us to make the choice. Maybe now is the time for us to respond and repent. Maybe now is the time for us to begin to follow Jesus in the way we know we were meant to, but haven't been. You know, we all are good at putting things off. I can invite you into my office and you can look at my desk. A bunch of papers that need filing. If only Amazon Prime sold round to it with two-day shipping, we could just get it all done quickly. Of course, the reality of our life is that we don't know when difficulties will strike. We don't know when, when struggles may come. And, and ultimately, we don't know when time will be up for us, which isn't so much a threat as it is an invitation. Because with all the things stacked up around us, with those things that we know, the, the difficulties we know will, will, will at some point come. Now we can begin walking alongside with the Lord so that when the difficulties come, we know what it's like to feel God's help with us. So maybe today, it's time for you to get around repenting in a way that you haven't. Maybe today it's, it's time for you to uh, quit intending to spend more time with God and, and actually spend more time with God. Maybe today you need to increase your commitment to the church in ways that you said you always would, but have never gotten around to. Maybe there's a confession you need to make, a reconciliation you need to begin to work on, a reunion you need to find. I don't know what it could be for you. But I do know, I do know that it's time to get around to it. it. It's time because someday time will be up. 
Someday there will come a time when we no longer have a chance to make a choice. And, and, and someday, in some way, we will become just like those in Jerusalem and Siloam and those Gentiles. Not that we did wrong and so a tower fell on us. But that because something happened, we were left without hope. I pray today that we will not reach that time anytime soon. But I also pray that when the time comes, we will be ready because we will know that no matter what it is we face, the Lord is walking with us each step of the way because we repented, because we decided to walk alongside the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we come to you this morning asking for your help, for your love, for your forgiveness, and for you to be with us, guiding us each step, carrying us when we can't walk, picking us up when we should fall. And Lord, always helping us to be open to being called back to you through repentance and forgiveness and the assurance of our forgiveness. Loving God, we love you so much. We are gathered here because we love you. So help us to see the ways in which we can turn away from what was and towards what is and will be, which is your love on earth as it is in heaven, your love for us and for the world, and your love through us, calling us to love and serve and care for one another anew today. This is our prayer today, Lord. These are the prayers from our heart that you have heard, and we give thanks that you have heard them. We ask them in the name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, today. Amen.